America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All good things are wild and free. Henry David Thoreau so yeah, hell yeah, I want another shot. And again, it's not like, oh, I need that money so bad. Like I want to do it for that money. Like, no, it, like the experience is phenomenal. You dream about that as a kid, like going out in the middle of nowhere with no tools and hardly anything and like trying to survive. So like the experience is phenomenal and you learn a lot about yourself, a lot about a neat wild place on the planet. Like you meet a bunch of people, so like the experience is phenomenal, but like, I just want to push myself. I want to do better and I would give anything to have another shot at it. I'd go wherever they said. Tropics, art, you know, Antarctica, I don't care. You know, time of year, like I'd go. I'm Doc and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Whosoever is delighted in solitude is either a wild beast or a god. Aristotle. Welcome back to Solitude, the companion podcast of the History Channel's epic solo adventure show, Alone. I'm Doc, and always I'm joined by my co-host and fan favorite, Jukebox. How's it going, Jukebox? It's going well. It's a, it's a beautiful Monday. Happy to start the week and, and happy to be back here in our virtual podcast studio. We've got a good episode for our listeners today. That's right. Big surprise. Big surprise. We are back this week with a special episode that is going to air on both the Solitude and the John Freaking Muir podcast. It's a special bonus episode for each. We were able to line up an interview with a fan favorite from season eight of Alone, Coulter Barnes. Welcome to the podcast, Coulter. Hey, it's good to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, hey, we want to thank you for coming on the podcast, and we are very excited to talk to you, talk to you about the show. It was an incredible season, and you were one of our favorite contestants. We want to thank you for coming on and sharing some of your experiences with us and our listeners. Yeah, it's good to be here. I like what you guys are doing on here, and I uh, look forward to talking with you guys today. Okay. Have you listened to any of the episodes on Solitude? I have. Yep. Okay. So, no, 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 you didn't take any offense at any of our, our comments, any of our Monday morning uh, quarterbacking going on? Well, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> 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 I enjoy what you 
doing it. I didn't say, uh, <laughs> you know, that. But yeah, no, we, I like I like it. I like that discussion. I like the analysis. I like, uh, yeah, I just like diving a little deeper into it and have and talking about the show. And so I don't get to do that all the time. So I'm excited to talk with some guys that have really went through the episodes and uh, and know. Yeah, Alone is is a fascinating show that really just kind of captivated our attention with uh, dropping people off in the middle of nowhere and giving them their own camera equipment and teaching them how to help, how to film, how to film themselves. And uh, just watching what happens. It's an incredible concept and reality TV does not get much better than that. You know, it came from. Tell us. Well, uh, I don't know if you've seen one man's wilderness about Dick Friendly. That man to Alaska, I think in 1968, uh, he came in at 51 years old and went into the wilderness and was going to live one year with very minimal hand tools. And uh, he ended up staying for 30, for 38 years. And, uh, and so the show, I didn't know this, that, that that show brought me to Alaska. I was in Montana in college when I watched that documentary and I, I was going to Alaska. I mean, it was just one more thing to push me up there. And then I was at orientation camp this uh, on alone, like, a week before we got dropped and someone started talking about the one man's wilderness. And I was like, Oh, that's such a cool show. And they were like, you know, that's what this show uh, alone came from. Right. And I was like, Oh my God. Like I couldn't believe it took me so long to realize that, but it's a fantastic documentary. If you haven't seen it. Uh, we will have to check that out. I just, I just looked it up now and I can, I can see how they based the show off of, of this experience. One man's wilderness and Alaskan odyssey. There's a book about it too, right. By Sam Key. Yeah. Based yep. on based on the journals of Pranaki. Okay, this is great. You gotta watch it. The journals are fantastic. The documentary is fantastic, but a very similar concept. Now, Colter, you're up in Anchorage right now, and the the Wi-Fi seems to to falter a little bit here or there. So if you if we freeze up, just go ahead and and keep talking. It'll come back and it'll 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 catch up. And if if there's too big a gap, then you know Jukebox and I will fill the gap, and we'll just keep going. We'll, we'll make it work. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. So you stood up here. Might be a little weird on your end. <laughs> hey, Coulter, I'm going to throw you a curveball right from the very beginning here because I've at, because this is going to be a a joint episode on both Solitude and my other podcast, the John Freaking Muir Pod. Uh, I've got a special gear segment that I do on the John Freaking Muir Pod that you have no idea about. I didn't share this with you, so I'm going to I'm going to make you think on your feet here. All right. Okay. So we've got. Uh, a special feature we've been doing this season on the John Freaking Muir Pod, and it's called the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Outdoor Vitals. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day outdoor adventure, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Coulter, when you're out there out in the middle of nowhere, what is your must-bring piece of gear? Steel Farm Boss 250 chainsaw. Wait, you probably can't pack. Hold on. Backpacking, uh, <laughs> Jim. See, nothing's going to do more work than a chainsaw. Um, if I was going to, um, oh, God, a friend was going to pack with something generic, what Sorry, what piece of equipment would I want? Yeah, what is the one specific gear you would insist on bringing out there with you? God, um, 
and that's a good question. I don't, I, don't, I mean, I, I kind of want to go with a, in, in Alaska, you know, and, and in the back country here, I'm going to go with a, you know, a, a sleeping bag, like a negative 60. What I took on the show was a negative 60 sleeping bag, synthetic. Um, I think that we could save my life out here. It's cold, it's wet, it's snowy, it's rainy. I, I'm going to go with the sleeping bag. Okay. A negative 60. And how cold did it get out there at Chilco Lake in the, in the evening times? You know, I don't think it ever dropped below zero, um, but, you know, it was wet and it was just wet and it was windy and raining. Like, I know it rained probably half the time we we're out there. And so, uh, yeah, a synthetic bag, uh, I think, can save your life and uh, made it a lot more comfortable. I slept like a baby out there because of it. So, And by sleeping but like a baby, you mean that you woke up every two hours crying? God, you dang it. You lobbed that one over the plate for you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> slept like a stone. That's what I meant to say. I slept like a stone. There we go. But okay. So let's start off. Could I hold on? Could I take a chainsaw? I mean, why couldn't you? That's it, a good it's point. Your, you it's could. your it's yeah. your outdoor adventure. If you want to bring a chainsaw, you bring a chainsaw. Yeah. Okay. I thought there were rules to this. Yeah, I'd take a chainsaw on a heartbeat. Ain't no piece of equipment going to do more work than that. Yeah. All right. And what brand of chainsaw do you prefer? Steel. Steel. All right. Jukebox, you want to get us started off with our, our discussion points here? Yeah. So I guess, I guess, uh, Coulter, just a little bit of background information for, for our listeners about yourself, sort of, you know, you mentioned you went to college in Montana and then after, you know, watching this show, you had to move up to Alaska, but, but what else is, is there that you would like our listeners and, and the fans of the show to know about you in terms of growing up, your experience in the outdoors and, and sort of paying the bills. What, what's life like for Coulter? Yeah, so I'll give you a kind of a brief rundown of what it's looked like, or at least locations. It hasn't been too many, but uh, I was born in Montana, Cutbank, Montana, and we moved out to Oregon. I, was, I have two older brothers, so a family of five moved out to Oregon when I was pretty young, Central Oregon and Madras, Oregon. And we lived there. I went to school there and graduated high school. And uh, yeah, we grew up, I mean, we grew up hunting and fishing. And so we, uh, but it was kind of a different, I'll tell you later, uh, is a little bit different than what I do now hunting and fishing. But um, we hunted antelope and mule deer and elk and lots of ducks and geese and pheasants and, and fished. We trolled for trout and, and, uh, and sturgeon fishing and salmon fishing. And so uh, then I went out to college at Montana State in Bozeman and continued that, but I got more into uh, fly fishing and bow hunting out there. So started chasing elk with a bow and whitetails and uh, fly fishing, not sinking bait on the bottom and just kind of learning more, having a lot more, um, just a richer experience that it was more about the quest and the trip uh, than about how many things I killed, which is kind of kind of what it was like growing up um, a little bit. And so... Then at 22, I moved into the village, uh, village of Kotkanak. It's a flying only native village in Southwest Alaska to be a school teacher. And, um, and that's when I feel like I got the, the, the culmination of this, I don't know culmination, but I got a real uh, in-depth training into what a subsistence based lifestyle looks like about living and breathing real close to the land and uh, not doing stuff for sport. I was, I, I tried not to become a sport fisherman. I tried to transform a, from a sport fisherman and sport hunter to a subsistence fisherman, subsistence hunter and gatherer. And uh, the people there, I feel like kind of took me under their wing and, 
and helped teach me and invite me and show me and, and uh, show me what that was like. For They've been living there for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So uh, that's kind of my, my story is from Montana, Oregon, back to Montana and now in Alaska. And I've been here 15 years. I've always lived off the road system. So um, only accessible by plane or boat. So most of the towns, uh, 14 of the 15 years have been in towns of less than 150 people. Uh, and the smallest one was one was just me. So, uh, so yeah, it's been pretty, pretty, pretty neat to, you know, take the hunting, fishing, gathering and have it be a necessity. Like when you don't have a store in your village or you're the only person on the island to be able to, um, you know, not just do it for fun, but because you kind of need to. And so that, that changes the game a bit. Right. I think that's a, that's a great story, especially for our listeners who, who may not know that about you and, and, you know, seeing that transition from Oregon to Montana hunting for sport to hunting and gathering for subsistence. And I think that's a, a large part of how you were able to both mentally and physically handle uh, alone for as long as you did. Yeah, I think it sure helped. I sure it felt like training. You know, I said, I've been training for the show alone for a long time. And it just felt like uh, the lifestyle I was living kind of led, uh, you know, really overlapped and melded with the alone experience pretty well. The isolation, uh, the weather conditions, the hunting, fishing, gathering uh, every second of the day or every moment you're outside. So, yeah, definitely felt pretty prepared. Now, Coulter, you're in good company. You said you were a school teacher in the village. Uh, I am a former English teacher now at the district office of my my school district. And Jukebox is actually a high school English teacher. So... All right. All right. Well, I can't, I'm not, don't check my spelling ain't great, but, uh, but it's good to be amongst <laughs> teachers, man. Right on. Good work. Nice. Now you said you've been training for the show for a while. Um, when did you first become aware of the show? Do you remember that moment? Cause I remember the moment where I, I was flipping through the channels and I saw this insane show that uh, just hooked me in instantly. Do you, do you remember when, when you had that moment or did you have a moment like that where you, you said, Oh my gosh, what is going on here? And I need to be on that show. So it was uh, October, 2019. And my parents came up to visit to the Island. I was living uh, on this Island. I was alone on the Island. It was fall. Um, and so, you know, I worked for a field school. So we have students out there five months a year, but the other seven months I'm pretty much alone. So they came up and stayed with me for a month in October. And it was like, I don't know, two weeks into their trip, mid-October, and they, my mom said, uh, you have got to watch this show alone. Like, uh, I think you're going to love it. And so, and I, little did I know they'd already had six seasons out. So we turned on an episode and I, my jaw just dropped and I was like, hold on. So you're telling me you can go, if you camp the longest, you can win half a million dollars? And, uh, and I knew right then I said, I, I've got to try this. So the whole time we watched episodes together, I was, you know, playing the, the backseat survivalist, like, oh, I'd do this or I'd have done that. Or why were, what were they thinking or blowing, you know, the whole thing. And so I got pretty excited, but then I forgot about it. And so that was uh, October, watched the show, loved it and thought, man, I'd like to do that. And then I was traveling to Thailand uh, in February, 2020, right before the pandemic. And I was overnighting in Seoul, South Korea in the airport and uh, just sleeping in the airport. There was like seven people in the airport. I think the pandemic had, had already kind of, you know, caused some anxiety and, and some stuff there. So anyway, I'm sleeping in the airport and uh, I thought, oh, my God, that show alone. I was like, I should reach out. So I sent them a little email on my phone with a couple pictures and uh, 
yeah, and the rest is history. I can tell you more about the process, but that that's kind of how it went for me. So I was I heard about the show October of 2019, and I was on the show October 2020. So I remember being out there in the woods and going, oh, my God, a year ago today, I watched my first episode of Alone. <laughs> that is a wild story. That's fantastic. And Jukebox, I want to point out something. He mentioned that when he was watching those that for those first episodes while he was living on the island, that he played the armchair survivalist. And he had the credentials to back that up, as opposed to you and I, who, you know, we all we know is what we've seen on TV. And, and we right. say, oh, yeah, why didn't he do this? Or how come? Why didn't they think of this? But, uh, you know, he's got he's got the credibility. He's got the, the street cred there to be an armchair armchair survivalist. Right. I know. I, I know. I've, I'm so glad we've been able to, we had Biko and Jordan on earlier this season and we're able to have Coulter on. I think it not that it brings more legitimacy to us but that we gain a, a better sense of what's actually going on and we can have a more educated opinion and not, and not just spew, you know, hot garbage about, about the show or, or what we think they're doing. So, so I really do appreciate this. And Coulter, you mentioned the application process and sending them a, a message. Why don't you take us through, I mean, what does it take for somebody to get onto a loan? What is, what is the application process like? Yeah, so I'm not sure what uh, what it looks like for everyone, but I'll share my experience. So I sent that email in February and didn't, you know, then I went on my vacation uh, for the month of March and I came back to the island and and in April, I mean, just out of the blue, I got an email that said, hey, we'd like to talk with you further, you know? And so then I uh, did an interview, I answered some questions, you know, then then they asked me to send some video footage. They sent me a GoPro and, and uh, wanted 10 hours of footage. And and then um, you do more interviews with producers and, you know, you keep going through this uh, interviews, videos, phone calls, stuff, excuse me, stuff like that. And then they say, okay, about June, they said, okay, you made it to boot camp. So we narrowed it down to 20, I think 24. And then they're going to select 12, 10 on the show and two alternates. And so, okay, I go, wow, I'm in the top 24. That's pretty cool. And I'm going to meet, you know, the whole reason I went on here was for the social aspects. So I was like, cool, I'm going to meet 23 other people. And so, uh, so I go to the boot camp. Well, typically they fly you to the boot camp and then they do a day of like, you know, a day of fire making, a day of food processing, maybe butchering an animal, maybe a day of filtering water, shelter building and stuff. But this time with COVID, they did it all virtual. So I know that was kind of uh, awkward, both for them and for us a little bit, but I thought they did a really great job. They set up these rooms that you could go in and you had discussions with survivalists and you talked to like a psychologist and you talked to producers and, you know, you kind of went through, answered a bunch of questions. They gave you a bunch of scenarios. We did like bow drill fires and different skills. So we had to make a bow drill fire in 20 minutes at boot camp. That was pretty cool. And then, um, and then, yeah, okay, so that's like June or July. And then it's like August 1st, I get a call on the dock. I'm standing on the dock, which is one of the only places I get cell service on the island. And I'm standing there, and my phone rings, and it was someone uh, that said, she said, hey, this is so-and-so from alone. I just want to let you know that you're on the show, and you leave in three weeks. And I was like, <laughs> so, it, uh, so it was a long process, but there was big gaps of silence, radio silence, I felt like. So that was pretty exciting to get that phone call and, uh, you know, you had three weeks to figure it out. Now, Coulter, you said you were, you were excited and you got the call that you were one of the, one of the top 24 because you get to meet uh, 23 other people. That's like going into the city for you, right? I mean, if you're on an island, it's just one of you. And, and now you get to be with 23 other people. I mean, that's, that's crowded living right there. 
Oh, that's huge. That's exactly like I, they ask you many times. They said, oh, they asked me, they said, Colter, you live alone on an island. I'm like, why do you want to go on the show? And I said, I'm going on there for the social aspect. And they laughed. But uh, but it's been proven right over and over again. I'm talking with you guys right now. I'm, uh, you know, on the show, I've met so many different viewers and survivalists and the production team. And I've met hundreds of people because of this experience. And so uh, it's some of, definitely some of the lasting, uh, some of the value to this experience has definitely been the connections I've made with people. So I love it. That's great. That's awesome. What, uh, so, so you get the call, you're going on the show, right? You got three weeks to prepare. They give you a 40 item list of things that you can bring, correct? Yes. And how, what is your selection process for these items? Sort of how doc asked you, Hey, what, what's your one thing you must take I'm assuming the chainsaw was not on the, the list of items to bring, correct? It was not. Okay, so, so what are the 10 items that you brought and how did that, how did that uh, decision uh, present itself? How did you, how'd you make those decisions? So I didn't feel like it was too tough. I mean, you know, you can look at, there's been people that have uh, cross-referenced all the seasons and put it into a, a matrix, you know, of what everyone selected. So you could see what everyone's selecting. I think there's a lot. There's probably six or seven items that everybody takes. Sleeping bag, a pot, you know, either an axe or a saw or a bowl. So, like, anyhow, I don't think there's a ton of different. You see some things this season. We saw a water bottle, and, you know, you, and, and I brought a tarp, and you see some, some odd ducks, but uh, mostly it's pretty streamlined. But for me, it wasn't. I, I narrowed it down to 12 really quick. I knew within 24 hours of getting that list, the 12 items I was taking. So I, uh, I, when I went to the camp, you take all 12 items. So when you go to orientation, so we had to quarantine for two weeks, then do orientation camp. So we were, we were together almost a month, the group. So we got pretty close, which was neat. But uh, anyhow, I take my 12 items and I don't know if you want me to list what they are, but um, yeah, sure. Let's sure, hear them. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. you, you were the Biko and uh, Jordan did not correct us. I think we said 10 items, but you actually get to bring 12 items. No, I, you, I took 12 items to the orientation camp and then you only get to take 10 in. Okay. Um, all right. Okay. Gotcha. Total that I even wanted. So I just had them. All. Some people showed up with 15. Some people showed up with more. Some people only brought 10. They just had their 10 decided, but I showed up. My number 11 was a, uh, was a saw. So the saw wasn't on the list and my number 12 was a tarp. Well, when we got there at orientation camp, they said, you can't use gill nets till day 45. So gill net was in my top 10. And so then I said, I'm not going to take a gill net and have it be useless for 45 days. So I took the gill net out, replaced it with a saw. And then I said, God, you know, I, I, I suck with a ferro rod just as bad as I suck with a bow drill. I said, why don't I just go with a bow drill? Because it doesn't count against me. So then I said ferro rods out and number 12 was a tarp so I could build a boat. So that's how I ended up with my 10 items. So the two things that, that didn't go were the gill net and the ferro rod. I ended up making two gill nets and then a bow drill just ended up working just fine. Yeah, I think there was an audible gasp in my household and it was, it was me actually. I was, I was the only one watching at this time when I found out that Coulter did not bring a ferro rod, I said, Oh, how, how is this going to play out? I mean, that's, that is a bold decision, but the way you phrase it, you're, you're equally as bad as using a, a ferro rod as you are a, a Bodro. It kind of makes sense. Yeah. And then I've learned, you know, later learned that I'm maybe not quite as bad for the ferro rod. I mean, it's all about your Tinder, you know? So like, I don't know, I, but, but one of my goals, to be honest with you, like, 
I've lived in Alaska for 15 years. I consider myself, you know, an outdoorsman. And I've always been pretty self-conscious about how poor my fire making ability is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not great. And so I was like, I'm going to use this show. If I get anything out of this show and I'm going to get a lot, but I was like, I'm going to get better at making fires. And man, I improved so much in that 67 days. Now, I know that you only started watching it the year before, but were you able to get more than one season under your belt of, of viewing before you started your season? Yeah, I think I'd watched all of the episodes. Um, I'm not positive on that, but I've watched the greater majority of them for sure. So if not all of them, I watched a lot. I just started binging it. I mean, I was alone on an island that winter. So I was like, I, I yeah, it'd get dark. And then we get six hours of daylight. So it'd get, dark, you know, dark at four in the afternoon. So yeah, I'd pop on some episodes at night. It was great. And Netflix starts at four up in, in Alaska. Oh God, don't quote me on that. <laughs> and so, but watching watching the previous episodes, how did, how did that shape your strategy going into your season? I mean, what was, what was your approach to, uh, being successful out there what was your your game plan well okay so yeah you learn a lot I mean you learn a lot from the other contestants you see shelters you know things that work hunting and fishing trapping systems that work food and water and just cool little ideas of you of building boats or whatever they're building you know I mean you definitely get a lot of intel from the episodes but then you know I also had in you know kind of my instinct and experience from my life. But then the other thing is, and, and I want to say this, like I'm 100% responsible for my shortcomings. There was no, it was not the location is why I starved. It was not my little square and spot why I starved. Like it was my own damn fault. So I want to say that, but a lot of what I wanted to do going in strategy was passive hunting and fishing. So it's a lot of like snaring and a lot of uh, trot lines, like step lines, a lot of, um, you know, your gill net, your trot lines, your like, what you know, a long line on the bottom, you got your snares out, and, and so passive gathering. Like, I know that hiking around takes a ton of calories, and uh, and in hunting, you, you know, you're not, you're success unsuccessful more often than you're successful, so that was my plan. Well, then we bumped up against some regulations. One, can't use a gill net for 45 days can't catch any salmon, can't use barbed hooks, can't use bait, can only set one trot line at a time or one set line. And so, God, a lot of those passive systems, you can't use like a gill net, even a snare grouse, like to use it in, in you know, where grouse pads are, just little things like that. Like you could have, have some stuff out. And so um, that made a lot of it need to be active. So that means you're active hunting and fishing. Uh, the only thing we could really, the only thing we could snare were rabbits, period. And uh, the snow really never, we never got a good snow. So anyhow, my passive systems kind of got thrown out the window a little bit. So I had to adjust just like everybody else did. Now, yeah. I know you said that uh, your shortcomings are your own, but those, those <laughs> regulations and qualifications that you just listed, not, not being able to do what you want to do with, with fishing, not being able, only being able to, to snare rabbits. And I will also throw in there the, the environment that you were put in at Chilco Lake, which I have as my, my background for tonight's show. Um, that, I mean, that combines to be one of the toughest environments, one of the toughest set of conditions for alone contestants to be in. I think jukebox, I mean, we've, we've watched all the seasons and this seemed to be the, the most difficult location ever. 
And so I understand that you, you take responsibility for your short balls, but you were put up, you know, behind the eight ball from the very, from the very get go on this. It was challenging for sure. I mean, there was, it was definitely challenging. You couldn't have any deadfall traps. You couldn't trap, you couldn't kill mice. You couldn't kill squirrels. Couldn't kill black bear. Couldn't kill brown bear. Couldn't kill moose. Couldn't kill those. Couldn't kill salmon. Couldn't eat salmon if they washed up on the beach. Like definitely the odds, uh, you know, it made it challenging. You're playing the game in tough mode, but as Clay showed us, like you could survive out there. And he's, I think he's one hell of an outdoorsman. I think he's an even better guy. And, uh, and so I think, uh, I think he showed us that, you know, we had to get creative. We had to adapt. You had, uh, you know, reach deep and, uh, and connect. And man, I hunted hard. They didn't show that, but I, I definitely got after some deer hunting and some strapping, but the story, my story became my boat, but, uh, but yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't find any animals, land animals. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's interesting you bring up how much you were hunting and trapping because you're correct. What we saw, I mean, the story of this season was the boat. They, they I mean, your story was the boat. I In one of our episodes, I said that uh, you're Captain Coulter, captain of the ship. You had your boat. That's that's what we saw for, for a large majority of it. And I was thoroughly impressed with the boat and thought, oh, this is – this is, uh, you know, that next level thinking or strategy or creation construction that's, that's really going to enable you to, to go a long ways. What it, how did you feel? Was the boat worth it, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like saying, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I'll come back to that. But it's saying like saying was, was taking a bow and arrows worth it. I never shot any one time. But you look and see what big game is done. Season six, seven and eight. It's won it, you know, muskox right. or moose here and so uh the boat like i kind of thought the same thing like i looked in the end and say god like it didn't produce like i'd hoped it would it didn't produce like it probably would have on salt water or in a different terrain not being at a high elevation mountain freshwater lake that's pretty sterile but uh but it helped me stay out there longer i think uh i think it was worth it i think it was good for morale i think it was good for calories um instead of packing i mean moving you know, mass on water is much more efficient than on land. And so, you know, I could move around easier. Um, you know, pretty simple construction, easy use. I thought, you know, fish was where it was going to be, but, uh, but yeah, just didn't connect like I'd hoped it would. But, you know, I, I gave the, the loan show about a thousand hours of footage, okay, in my 67 days. And it gets boiled down to about 45 minutes of airtime. So I understand that my story was my boat and I don't have any resentment over what they chose to show or didn't chose to shoot or show. But, uh, but yeah, I did hunt. I hunted like 12 days in a row till dark at the end of October. I hunted, uh, I mean, every day I was hunting, looking for grouse, deer, rabbits with my bow, carrying my bow around, setting snares and checking snares and they didn't show it, but that's all right. Like you gotta, you gotta get everyone's story in, in, in a real short amount of time. I'd love to see that 999 hours of footage that no one's seen though. Kind of fun. So would I. Yeah. How do we, how do we get our hands on that? I don't know. If you figure it out, tell me, I can't even see it. I can't access it, but dang, I'd love to. Hey, we have a, a running debate here on solitude about what is tougher out there, the starvation or the loneliness. And I'm, I'm interested to hear what your perspective might be on that Coulter. Yeah. Starvation hundred percent. I mean, for me, okay. Everyone else, like here's the deal. Loneliness First off, 67 days wasn't even in probably my top 10 camping trips I've been on. Like I've been on 
longer <laughs> trip. Now, and I'm not like an outdoor junkie. Like I'm not a adrenaline junkie or anything like that. Like I don't go, you know, for years, but I'm saying it's like, I've been on 60, 70, 80, 90 day camping trips before. So that helped prepare me that I knew kind of what I was getting into. And, uh, and then living on an Island alone or living in the bush in Alaska, like, and being pretty remote and not having a lot of contact, like that helped me. And then also being single and not having kids and a family and a partner, a spouse. So like I had all this, you know, training and circumstance that helped me like isolation, like loneliness. I can honestly say I didn't feel alone one time out there, like, or lonely or I said not once because uh, it's just temporary and it's pretty short term you know it's gonna go two three four four months tops it's like yeah it's nothing so uh but the starvation is something that i don't think anybody has experience with thankfully is real starvation like you know when you go camping you want to take you know your granola bars and trail mix and snickers bars and you know whatever you can and it just tastes so good around a fire when you're out there and like to go out there and on day one, like you reach in your pocket to get your snacks and you got nothing. And day two, you got nothing. And you're like, oh my God, like your, your whole view of what you need to do shifts and said, oh my God, every day when I wake up, it's literally get calories and that's it. 100% for your focus. So yeah, starvation hands down. At Jukebox, you were talking about next level strategies and, and, and training and ideas. Uh, I think maybe the next level training for, for alone is not to, you know, work on your ferro rod skills or your, your, your bow skills, but maybe it's to just not eat for, you know, 30, 40 days and uh, not talk to anybody, not have any human interaction for a month and a half. And, and that'll prepare you uh, to be successful in alone. I, I mean, we talk about it and we talk about it more this season in terms of the gamesmanship that goes on with contestants thinking about other contestants out there and, and sort of the evolution of the game of alone. And I only think it's a matter of time before we start to have contestants that are really trying to science the starvation out there and, and find ways to really prepare their body ahead of time to, to you know, put themselves at a, at a biological advantage when it comes to dealing with the hunger. I mean, I think it's, I, I can't doctor that up for you. I'm not familiar with, with, with how to do this, but I'm sure someone who's dedicated to winning might think about that before, maybe in a couple seasons or so. I think you're right. I got a friend, James McDougall. If he's listening, uh, he'll science the shit out of that. He, uh, <laughs> you're right. I love that kind of next level, like what people are going to start doing to prep um, for this, because I think there's a lot you can do with metabolism and, and fasting and some different things. I didn't do it, you know, and then also the fat that you bring with you, they call your 11th item. So, you know, Biko had a bigger 11th item than most. Uh, but, you know, there are strategies that you kind of have people in the hibernation camp and, and the calorie efficiency camp. And you have people that are balls to the wall, hunting, fishing, trapping, trying to get all the calories they can. So, and people shift. I kind of shifted throughout. I went into hibernation mode later in the game thinking, oh, that's what I need to sleep. You know, I need to sleep more or stay put in my shelter more. But, uh, kind of got antsy and said, oh, hell with this. I want to go, I want to go out swinging. So that's, I mean, that's what I did. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Coulter about some of the events that have uh, transpired on the show and get his perspective uh, as it was happening, what was going through his mind and what, what his impressions were as, as we were at home and the safety of our homes, uh, watching him go through this stuff. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome back to both the Solitude podcast and also the John Freaking Muir pod. We are talking with Coulter from season eight of Alone. And uh, he is, he's already been a fantastic guest. And I cannot wait until we talk about some of these, uh, these items in front of us here. So uh, Jukebox, get us started here. Yeah, so, so Coulter, obviously the show, out of your thousand hours of footage and, and all of your fellow contestants, they place an emphasis I think of on making sure they get the videos of the craziest things you all eat out there. So what were some of the craziest things you consumed during your, your tenure on alone? Um, And maybe what tasted the worst and, and what tasted the best out of those crazy things? Well, (laughs) there is not a very long list because as you can see, I didn't eat a whole lot, but (laughs) you a couple of things I ate were uh, the one that I got on film uh, and they showed was that wormy woodpecker. So I went fishing one day and uh, I mean, I got right down to the water. I was fishing from shores, maybe day 40. I don't know what it was, 45. And, and all of a sudden, I mean, I just look, I'm casting, going down the beach and I look up and there's a bird floating there. And uh, so I get a long stick and, and bring it to the shore and it's a woodpecker and I'm like and it looked pretty good it wasn't that rigid so it didn't look like it had been dead very long open it up and it's just packed with worms and uh and so I just made sure to boil the hell out of it but it tasted fantastic it was like the best food I'd tasted in well 40 some odd days however long I'd been out there it was so good to have red meat and uh, eat the heart and the gizzard and the liver and the you know and uh ah and everything that was really good but uh, you know I don't know I'm not you know, not in the market for many woodpeckers, especially not wormy ones nowadays. And the other thing that they didn't show, and it was really my own fault because I didn't film it that well, but uh, was maggots. So I started, uh, how I, I was a maggot farmer out there. I started, I dug a hole and put all my fish guts in a hole because we couldn't use them for bait. 
So uh, I only had the maggots for about three weeks, two or three weeks. And um, I was trying to fatten them up and get quite a bit larger. And then somewhere in early October there, we got a snow and it wiped them out. But, uh, but that was, I was hoping to throw in about 20 of those with every day with my tea or my soup or whatever, dried mushrooms, whatever I was eating, I was going to, you know, try and have 25 to 50 maggots a day. And, uh, and so that's probably the two weirdest things I ate while I was out there. Two words that uh, when I woke up this morning, I did not expect to be put together in the same phrase. And that is maggot farmer. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I'm proud of that. That was, uh, I wish I'd have got better footage of it. And I thought they were going to be around for a while. So I was like, oh yeah, I was going to play this up and have my little maggot farm. When the bears, you know, hibernated, I was going to move that farm inside my shelter. And I was pretty stoked about it. And uh, that snow came and they were gone and God, I couldn't believe it. I dug around in that hole through all the guts and I couldn't find one. And I was so sad, but uh, it's like, I only filmed them, I think once or twice in it and uh, just never had a real storyline to it. So I see why they didn't put it in. I, I can't tell you how hopeful I am that a, a future contestant of the show alone hears your story of, of trying to farm maggots and does that successfully on the show because I really would love to see that in action on alone. I think that's next level. I think that's 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 advanced thinking for the show, for sure. <laughs> well, I didn't expect those words to go together either. Megan Farmer and advanced thinking. Sorry. <laughs> Nice. Hey, one of the challenges of this location, Chilco Lake, was the fact that there were 200 plus grizzly bears roaming the perimeter. And so, you know, talk to us about that. Talk, talk to us about the pressure of having that number of grizzlies roaming around. And uh, did you have any grizzly encounters? Yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of grizzly encounters. You know, <clears throat> I had the, the one that you saw on day, I think I saw two bears the whole time I was out there. And that one on day 15 was the closest by far. Um, but I'm pretty fortunate again. I'm not, uh, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm, grizzly bears aren't going to do anything to me. Like, no, grizzly bears are, are incredibly powerful and uh, and incredible predators as well. But um, but I've had so many interactions with brown bears since being in Alaska, uh, hundreds of interactions, fishing and hunting and sitting in tree stands or processing salmon on the beach or in boats or rafts. So like, uh, they're fairly like most wild animals. They don't want anything to do with you. And uh, even though they could, they're this huge predator, uh, that they could do something. And then every once in a while do, you know, when there's a cubs, mom and cubs, or if you surprise one, or if you're on, it's on a kill, like there are circumstances that make them pretty unpredictable or dangerous, but no, like I didn't feel threatened. I didn't feel worried or scared. Um, you definitely have your hair stands up on your neck a little bit being in grizzly country. Like, you know, you're not the, uh, you know, you're not the biggest, <coughs> um, you know, predator in the country there, but they're not out. They've been coming to that land for hundreds or thousands of tens of thousands of years for salmon or for other resources. So they're really tuned into that. And so we like to make it about us and we like to really play up the drama and they're, they're hunting us and they're, they're looking for us every second, you know, we're on the land, we're being hunted by the bears. <laughs> like, no, no, not, that's not really the case. I think that, uh, that makes good TV, but, um, but no, they're doing their thing. We're want to stay away from each other that's a good perspective that's uh, i hadn't thought of it that way but i think you're exactly right yep good good perspective there yeah I, 
beautiful creatures and they definitely define wilderness. To feed a bear, the amount of calories that bear has to eat in a day, you gotta have a really healthy ecosystem because and so fish and birds and fry and I mean the whole thing throughout because they gotta consume an enormous amount of food. And so uh, you're definitely in competition. They're out there fishing and looking for, you know, spawns and different things that they might be hunting roots and berries. So like you're in competition with them. You, you kind of feel that, but uh, but it's also it makes means you're in a pretty wild place if you're there sharing it with grizzly bears. Yeah. And, and uh, speaking of these grizzly bears, I'm just thinking about all of the, the phrases we hear on the show and one-liners and zingers uh, from the contestants. And I'm wondering how long it is before the History Channel decides that they're going to start to sell merchandise for this show, uh, like T-shirts or, or stickers with these phrases, because I would really enjoy a Hey Bear shirt. Um, that, that would be something I would consider buying, and I'm sure the History Channel is going to take my money at this point. Um, but but I, would really, I would really appreciate that if, if they would maybe think about it. So that's a hard question for me because I think, uh, I think they do very well. I think whoever made shirts with Rock House or Hey Bear or all the other one-liners we've seen throughout the, the years, I think they'd sell well. I'm also – I'm of the mindset, as probably a lot of people uh, – I don't know in the survival or outdoor world that we don't need more stuff, consumer goods. Uh, it's the last thing our planet needs right now uh, is more t-shirts, but uh, people are looking to make a buck. I think could do pretty dang well. And it'd be fun. I think it'd be super fun to see them around town, you know, the shirts. So I don't want to be a buzzkill, right. but uh, I'd probably buy one, but we sure as hell don't need more stuff. Understandable. Understandable. <laughs> All right, Doc, did you want to take us into our next uh, our next moment out there or our yeah. next uh, event? Yeah, you know, we, we've seen other contestants talk about this and we kind of we kind of glean it from from their conversations with themselves out there about they feel the pressure of knowing that people are watching them on TV, that this is going to be played back for a, a, a national, international audience. And they feel the pressure of those eyes on them. Did you, did you have that kind of uh, experience out there? Do you feel like people were going to watch you and judge you and judge your actions? No, I didn't, I didn't feel too much about the judgment. I think uh, people are, I think people are generally really good and nice and loving and like kind uh, hearted. So like, uh, and I generally, I mean, I, I trust people and uh, I've had nothing but 37 years, my experience, uh, people have been very, I don't know, warm and welcoming. And so, of course, uh, there's trolls and all these people on websites that get after you about this or that. And like, I don't know, that's not a big deal. I think they just, there'll always be that. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, I think it was the awkwardness for me. It was like in the beginning, the awkwardness of um, looking into a camera and like, you know, trying to look natural, but sound excited, but like do film something and cover something you're doing really well and artistically and make it, you know, like, so that was more for me, it wasn't about what the people thought of it is my, or I would have washed my face. It was more about like, uh, it was more like trying to make good TV and good coverage. And like, I don't like, I don't, I mean, to be honest with you, Biko and Matt and Teresa, I feel like make really good TV. A lot of them did, but like, uh, they're fun and they tell jokes and sing songs and do accents. Like, that's not me. And so like to be myself, like it's a lot of quiet time sitting around camp, sitting around a fire. You know, I was tying, I tied 1300 knots for my gill net. And the only thing I could do was count, you know, 477, 400. 
And I just kept apologizing to the camera going, this is the most boring shit I could possibly be saying. I'm sorry, but, uh, but yeah, so for me, and then it got more natural. So after maybe day 10 or whatever it was, it was like, I just was totally myself and, uh, and my voice and what I was filming and my sense of humor and everything like that awkwardness of the cameras and speaking into it and like trying to frame your face and all that stuff kind of disappears. And uh, I'd say the last 50 days, you just kind of do your thing and, and you get frustrated, you know, like when the batteries die on the cameras, you got to reshoot something or when the SD card's full or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of the filming is a lot of work. But uh, but definitely people's judgment and view of people watching it didn't didn't cause me to lose any sleep. I think people are great. People have been very supportive and and uh, it's, it's a fun community of people. Yeah. Two two things about what you just said, Coulter. First thing, it's refreshing to hear somebody who lives alone on an island and who's never been to who's never lived in a town with, you know, more than, uh, you know, a couple hundred people that that you still reference internet trolls. I thought that was that was awesome. <laughs> And then the, the second thing, uh, you talk about, you know, making good TV and other contestants, how you think they're good TV and, and how, you know, you kind of struggled or at least thought you struggled to make good TV. And, and for me as a viewer, I think one reason that I was so attached to your journey and pulling for you so hard is because I think that you really showed that you were a competitor out there, like a, a contestant, of course, but your competitiveness and, and ability to just say, Hey, I, I'm not giving up out here because there were times when I think a lot of viewers might've thought you were down on an episode or, or like, as we like to put it, maybe driving the struggle bus for, for a week or two on, uh, on the show. But, but I think that one reason I was drawn to you and your, your journey was because of your, your competitive edge and, and just, you know, your willpower. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely didn't plan on giving up and uh, never felt, you know, I wasn't so cold or wasn't lonely. Even though my body was starving, I didn't feel like hunger pains or any of that. Like, I was going to keep going. And I told him early on and meant it like, I'm going to stay out here until they tell me I can't anymore. And whether that's because I won or for medical reasons, like, I'm just going to do that because I love it. I love my routine and I love the life out there and love the lifestyle. So, like, it was, I mean, I... I had such a great time on that show. I, had, I, I would have loved to have gotten more food, but overall, like my daily routine, I loved every second of it. So that's amazing. Um, so, Doc, it looks like I'm just looking at our agenda here. It looks like we've covered a couple of these already. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of jump around here. Go right um, ahead. I, I think uh, one thing that a lot of viewers uh, would be interested to hear about is is when you first created the boat, or were maybe in the process of creating the boat you dropped your knife onto the tarp twice. What was going through your head when that knife fell out of your hand? And before you, before you answer, Coulter, yeah, you know, the two armchair uh, survivalists here, we're watching the show trying to glean any kind of hint or, or sense of you know, where the show is going and, 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 and how the contestants are going to fare. And I have to tell you that this was a topic of conversation on the show when we saw you drop the knife, not once, but twice, knife point down into the tarp as you're making a boat. I'm thinking... This does not bode well for Coulter. I don't know how long he's going to go out there, but uh, take us take us through that. Yeah, I just classic classic Barnes move right there. It's like uh, 
like we <laughs> dad you're going to hate this story but I'll, I'll make it quick but one time we were going into our elk hunting spot we were driving into this lookout and then you hike kind of around this mountain and anyhow it was dark and a herd of elk ran across and they're right there so we anyhow we pull off the road and we're just going to wait till daylight and then try and sneak on them or you know make a hike after see where they went and he hits the car alarm button and the car alarm starts going off and scares everything out of the country for miles you know so classic move uh was the dropping of the leatherman and i swear to god that first time it dropped it stuck in the tarp with like like you try to stick a knife in the ground or in the piece of wood like i was just like oh my god this whole strategy this whole boat thing and I'm just about on the last step to uh, to get the skin on and I drop in my knife. So it was funny. Like, I like that stuff and the humor. Like, it's not going to be the end of the game. A bear, a bear's shoes on that thing, it's not going to be as funny. But dropping a little knife in there, like, then I'll have to make some, you know, pitch glue and seal it up or melt it or, you know, come up with a way to to salvage it. And then that's just an adventure in itself. But uh, I think that the word adventure, I heard this quote one time that the word adventure gets overused and adventure is when everything goes wrong. And so when I dropped that knife into that tarp, that that is when the adventure starts. So. But uh, I just laugh. I just think it's funny, like just a dummy move, but it's not going to take me out of the game. Just make it more challenging. Fantastic. Another another one of our favorite moments was when you opened up the episode by saying that uh, you took a dump in the living room and you were just so excited and satisfied by that. And, and, you know, we're we're living vicariously through you. And, you know, we wondered, you know, did, did you dig a hole in the living room and you buried afterwards? Did it freeze? Uh, and you kind of just chucked it out after, you know, how, how did that all work? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I love poop and, uh, and I love composting it and I love talking about it. And I love a lot of, uh, I, I think our world's quite fecal phobic. Uh, you know, so um, I get any chance I can get to talk about it, it's a good one. But I uh, actually was using a flat rock. I think I did it a couple times. I think I did it twice, but uh, I had a flat rock that I would use. I had a bunch of them that I'd use to move my fires around. So I'd haul coals and around to new fire pits. And so I just went on one of those one time. I think it, the urge hit me quick or it was super cold and snowing outside or it was dark or for some reason I didn't want to go outside. And uh, then it was like so pleasurable. It was warm. I didn't have to take off like 15 layers. I didn't have to go anywhere. And then when I went to my my log that I had designated a hole where I usually would go to the bathroom, I just took the rock over there and chucked it in. So I was like, dang, like this is something, man. Like that was really nice. Like I got to do that again. So yeah, I'm glad that the History Channel decided to put that footage in there. You know, jukebox. I'm gonna tell your mom. I'm I'm gonna take the same strategy. I'm gonna class it up a little bit. I won't I won't put rocks in the living room, but maybe a plate or something. You know, and so I I, I just take it over to the bathroom later. Yeah, if that happens, we won't be hearing from you for a while. <laughs> well, that's quite enjoyable. Don't knock it till you try it. No, I won't. I don't. <laughs> But All ju- right. jukebox and i have done quite a bit of through hiking and so we we understand the the uh the joys of having some of the best sites while you're while you're sitting on the throne uh out oh. there so yeah no i love the i love the quote something's like no, nothing uh nothing's more overrated than an orgasm or more underrated than a good bowel movement <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had heard. I don't know if the History Channel would have included that, but that would have been a great one-liner for the uh, for the viewers. I'm gonna I'm gonna order my hat tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. 
So, of course, we have taken a dump in the living room. We talked about dropping the knife. We, we got your opinion on the, the active and, and, and passive hunting and foraging. Um, how about you losing 86 pounds? So, on the show, you lost 86 pounds. You've already talked to us about the hunger. What was that sort of recovery like for you after the show? Like, like how did that weight get put back on? Because it, it looks like you're in, in, better, in better shape right now, a better condition than, than the, the minus 86 pounds at the end of your tenure. But, but sort of what type of physical toll did that really take on you in terms of recovery? Yeah, well, it's been interesting. Okay, it's, it's, it's the emotional toll wasn't much. Like, I feel that that didn't have much of an effect with starvation, thankfully. But, uh, but physically, I actually felt better, I think, at 156 pounds than I do at 256. I put on 100 pounds this year since I came off the show. And uh, it's a really quick 100 pounds. So it just wasn't done very healthfully. I feel like I wasn't working out or doing, you know, lots of exercise and physical movement. And so, you know, a lot of my like limberness and, and flexibility and like, it's just not there. And so while people look at me and say, wow, you look just like the culture of old or you look back to normal. I definitely don't feel like it, you know? So I need to do some hard work and I need to, uh, and it's gonna take time. It just doesn't happen quick. So I need to get back into a healthy lifestyle. Um, I've definitely been eating a lot more, um, but I'll talk a little bit about that, that 13 days, what they call a refeeding program that as after the show, uh, I was there for 13 days cause I'd lost so much food and they just do a really great job of making sure they have like a medic checking on you and doing vitals and weight and, and checking your, you know, checking your ankles and your feet for swelling and, and just all this stuff. And so, uh, every day, and then you talk with a nutritionist and the doctor would come in and check on you at night. And like, so you had this really wonderful team, uh, you know, taking very, very seriously your physical health after the show so much appreciated but I ate a lot of broth those first few days tons of avocados yogurt vitamins stuff like that but uh yams but in that 13 days I'd gained 50 pounds wow and so they said a lot of that is retaining water so like from when they pump you full of vitamins uh you're gonna hold a lot more water um than you could before so a lot has water weight but they were worried I was gaining too much weight too fast. And so, um, but, okay, so then now, and then I've gained 50 pounds in those 13 days, I've gained 50 pounds since, so I'm up here. But what I, what I noticed is a lasting lingering effect is your brain, I, I misquoted this one time, uh, your brain uses 20% of the calories that you put in your body. And so when you're starving and you've eat, went through all of your fat reserves, you're starting to go into your muscle bank, like I think your brain's taking quite a hit. You know, there was three weeks there, I didn't eat hardly any food, no protein. I just ate plant food, you know, mushrooms and, and uh, rose hips and onions and stuff like that, but uh, not many calories and definitely not any fat and, and protein. So I feel it, I've had a lot of mental errors. Um, in the last six months, a lot of just stupid mistakes that I, I didn't make before. Uh, and so I probably had more mental errors in the last six months than I had in the last 30 years. And so that's been kind of noticeable. Now I think the brain's gonna recover. I think having conversations, me getting back into civilization, uh, reading, a real brain plasticity is, is pretty uh, pretty neat. And so I, I know I'm gonna be fine, it's, but, uh, but that's where I feel it today. The number one thing that I feel physically from the starvation or from the show experience is um, just kind of dull up here, man, duller than normal got it got it yeah 
I don't know what my excuse is, but uh, it certainly wasn't wasn't losing 86 pounds. Bolter, we as we were watching the show, I know that you had no idea how many contestants were left, but it got down to the final four. And Jukebox and I were saying, you know what? Any one of these four could win it. Any one of these four has a shot. And you were bound and determined, bound and determined that you were, were not going to tap out. You were not going to push the button. You were going to, they're going to have to drag you out. And sure enough, that's what, that's what happened. They, they came out and did a, a, a medical evaluation, determined that you had lost too much weight and they pulled you for, for safety reasons. Take us, take us through that whole experience and uh, you know, how that impacted you, what you were, what you were thinking and feeling when they, they gave you that news. Um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty devastating. It was, uh, so when they told me that, you know, I kind of, I also kind of felt that it might be coming, you know, like I, I obviously could tell my body was getting weak and fatigued quite easy. I'd lost a bunch of weight, you know, to kind of warn me at other med checks. So, um, but it was, it was, uh, it's a huge weight lifted off your shoulders as well as like that burden of survival. So there's that, but, it, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel good. It's like, um, you feel like you've kind of failed and you feel like at that moment, you just would have done everything. You would have done so much differently or, oh my God, I should have went harder. I should have pushed harder in this. I should have pushed harder in that one. So just like, it was a lot going through my head, but, uh, but I just felt pretty devastated that you get one chance that you're kind of Olympics of the outdoor world or the you know, outdoor survival competition. And, uh, and to just know that you just didn't feel like you had your best performance. And, uh, and so that, um, but I don't feel like they shorted me at all. The show gave me every opportunity in the world. I, I, and I have no resentment. I don't feel like, oh, they should have left me longer. I had more time. Like, no, nope, I would have stayed out there longer, but it might've been detrimental to my health. And so um, they let me push my limits. And, uh, and I feel like I really got to touch my limits and I've never done that before. So I definitely am grateful uh, that they, I'm grateful that they pulled me. I'm also grateful that they let me go to the bitter end, so. And I have to ask, is there any, any fourth place money out there from the history channel? Is it, is it, is it only, is it winner take all, or is there, is there money for, for other finishers? I don't know. Am I getting paid today to be on here? You tell me. <laughs> Same man. Uh, no, no money. Uh, no money paid for fourth. What's below bronze. <laughs> yeah. You didn't, a you, you didn't send a, a writer agreement to me, so I, I'm not sure what you're getting paid today. <laughs> Uh, we'll have to make some t-shirts. There you, there you go. Hey, do you keep up with any of the contestants from season eight? Yeah, almost all of them. Yeah. I keep up with all of them. I definitely, uh, yeah, definitely Michelle and Biko and Rose and Teresa and, and Clay. And yeah, all, I mean, I keep uh, chatting online. I went and had a, you know, right around Christmas time, I went and met Clay uh, out of his place in Idaho and met his wife and his two sons had a dinner and, and hung out for a few hours, went and stopped by Biko's place when I was down on the Oregon coast. Um, definitely want to visit some of the others, but yeah, great people. And, you know, a lot of them are really technical and trained survivalists and outdoorsmen that I have a ton of respect for. I don't have that kind of uh, the book smarts when it comes to, I'm not a survivalist. Uh, a lot of my stuff's just kind of like, I don't know, homesteading or a lifestyle or just experiential. And these guys have years if not decades uh, of training so it's pretty cool to pick their brains and i'd like to take some classes from them for sure yeah that's that's a very interesting point just 
hearing from Biko and Jordan earlier this season and them talking about, yes, we are competing for this money, but a better way to look at us are our contestants because, you know, we want each other to succeed out there. So it's, it's pretty awesome to hear you talk about, you know, visiting these other contestants and staying in touch and sort of <laughs> like this, this uh, companionship that, that all of you seem to, to enjoy even after the show. Yeah, and it really is a competition against yourselves. Because in my square, no matter what Clay or Biko or Teresa are doing in their squares, it doesn't affect mine. Like, so if I'm catching fish or not catching fish or happy or sad, like, that doesn't have any determination on what they're doing. So it's really, I'd love to get dropped off in the same square on the same date and with the same regulations and do better than I did and, and do better in 67 days. And so it just felt like that was great. I never felt like I was competing against them and I'm not competing against nature. I think that's another way that you, you get a quick out. It's like, I'm trying to learn from the environment fast enough to be able to live off of it. And uh, unfortunately I didn't do that. <laughs> that's, that's uh competing. You're com not competing against nature. I feel like that's a, that's a mentality. A lot of contestants need to have because I'm sure you would confirm this, but if you're competing against nature, you will lose every time. Absolutely. Right. So that's a, that's a, it's a big wall you're staring at if that's your attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a hard fall from your uh, pedestal. <laughs> now we've had a number of seasons and we've had eight seasons of alone and one of the things that Jukebox and I have been kicking around is this concept of, okay, we've had enough seasons now. To, we can do alone all-stars. I mean, other reality shows, they have, they have all-stars. If, if the History Channel picks up on this concept and does an alone all-stars season, uh, I think you would definitely qualify. Would you be up for that if they, if they approached you and said, hey, Coulter, I want you to be an all-star. Come back on the show. I could literally be out the door in five minutes, literally. Uh, I'm not kidding. Uh, I would, I'd go in a heartbeat, there'd be no question. I wouldn't think about it for a second. I would leave right now. I'd hang up on whatever podcast I'm talking with and I would just, so yeah, hell yeah, I want another shot. And again, it's not like, oh, I need that money so bad. Like I want to do it for that money. Like, no, I'd like the experience is phenomenal. You dream about that as a kid, like going out in the middle of nowhere with no, tools and hardly anything and like trying to survive so like the experience is phenomenal and you learn a lot about yourself a lot about a neat wild place on the planet like you meet a bunch of people so like the experience is phenomenal but like i just want to push myself i want to do better and i would give anything to have another shot at it i'd go wherever they said tropics art you know antarctica i don't care you know time of year like i'd go the jukebox we just count ourselves lucky that the phone call didn't come during this podcast that's right. That's right. At least earlier in the podcast, if it happened now, it'd be quite the exit. We'd really, we'd really get the, get the folks going. Uh, quite a lead up here. Colter, what was the reaction of uh, family and friends uh, to your, your performance on the show? When you came back, what kind of feedback did you get from folks? Well, are you talking about when I came back from the show or are you talking about when it aired? Good point. Good point. When the show aired, after the show aired, what, what kind of response did you get from family and friends? Yeah, family and friends were, I mean, family and friends have been supportive, like, my whole life, no matter what I do, uh, they've always been very supportive, so yeah, they were proud and, and supportive, like, tons of shout-outs and messages and phone calls, and uh, it was pretty, pretty sweet, and uh, to feel that love and support, but I wasn't, I wasn't surprised by it, but, uh, but, you know, like, I know, I think my mom was watching the show with her church group, and, and they asked, why is it beep so many times when I'm on? So, you know, I told them that was the, the camera battery was low. But, 
otherwise then you know why didn't you wash uh a few things but uh otherwise been pretty supportive really supportive fantastic and what what's next for for coulter what, what's the next big adventure out there for you well i got some ideas in the works so i uh i had um started a business at one time called highway homesteaders and uh, I was going to travel around the country doing half labor and half um, education, like do some workshops on canning and brewing and baking and solar power and aquaponics and gardening and construction and stuff like that. But then also do labor to where I put in gardens and chicken coops and solar power panels and, and stuff like that. And uh, and so I'm thinking about reviving that dream. Uh, I ended up taking a job for three years on this island uh, and put that business aside. And so I kind of want to pick it up. And, but uh, I need to get a bus and a trailer and a kitchen. like, And uh, I kind of want to travel the country and, and go to people where they're at. I've always kind of lived in Alaska and worked in schools here where I try and bring people out here to Alaska to really remote Alaska. Well, not everyone can do that. Not everyone has a budget or the time or the capacity to be able to do that. So I kind of want to go uh, where you guys are and go to St. Louis and Tampa, Florida and go wherever to where people are and uh, not necessarily teach DIY skills, but, um, but, um, but yeah, help learn and grow and share and explore them together. And, uh, and so that's kind of something that I'm, I'm kind of getting momentum for. So that's, that's probably the next big adventure right now. I'm heading back into the village and, uh, planning on reading for the winter. I'm going to read as many books as I can, uh, this winter, chop firewood and read. That's the plan. I need to get my brain, uh, give it a little bit of a workout and my body. Nice. What's at the top of your reading list? Oh man, that's a guy got a huge reading list. Uh, top of my reading list is going to be people's history, of the United States, uh, rediscovery of North America, Barry Lopez. Um, yeah, there's just so much, so much. I'll probably read some, some Steinbeck and some, and uh, Malcolm Gladwell. And I don't know. That's a good question. It's a big you're list. You're, you're talking jukebox's language right there. Did you I see him light up? I was going to say, Coulter, I'm not sure if you've read this book before, but I recently started uh, a book this week called 1491 by Charles C. Mann. And uh, I haven't read you haven't? No. So it's basically a book um, dispelling the, the popular belief, I guess, you know, decades or generations before, but still kind of penetrating now of that the natives of, of North America had no impact on the land or that they were just sort of you know, witnesses to, to everything that happened. And it's kind of, you know, showing how they were really advanced in the way they lived in agriculture and, and structures they, they were able to come up with. And, uh, and you know, being taught, thing, taught one thing growing up and, and coming to, to read a book that's kind of blowing your mind. I'm really enjoying it so far. So right, I'll check it out. I'll have yeah. to check it out. Have you read uh, Homo Deus? I have not. All right. We'll do a little book swap, a little book club next time. Okay. But I'll I appreciate the uh, recommendations. I'm, I'm trying to get three recommendations from every one of my friends and family and people I meet. And so uh, I, I presented in a school the other day in Juno and the kids were writing recommendations on the board. So I'm trying to put together a pretty comprehensive uh, reading list and get to know people through the books that they, uh, they think I need to need to read. So. Right. Awesome. Right on. Nice. Hey, Jukebox, you know, I'm a little disappointed because at the beginning of the episode, 
uh, Coulter shared that, you know, there, if we ask certain questions that were off limits or off topic that he, you know, he may not be able to answer them because of, you know, his agreement with the history channel. And he did not give that excuse once he, he did not, he did not. So we did not ask the right questions, I feel. So right. we're going to wrap up tonight's segment with one more uh, tonight's episode with one more segment called, uh, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell me about? God, what have you not asked me that I'm dying? Well, we've talked about poop. And we've talked about maggot farming. And uh, geez, I can't, uh, I can't. That's what I really wanted to share was definitely the maggot farm. But uh, oh, we talked about my next steps. What have you not asked me? This is a tough one, you guys. I should have been prepared for this, but um, I thought it'd be the maggots. Um, I got nothing. Okay. All right. That shows this is a, a comprehensive uh, interview. Nice. I think you guys covered everything and more. And, uh, and yeah, it's been great. It's been really good to talk with you. I really like that you guys get in, uh, you focus on the show, but you look for a lot deeper as to uh, the whys and the upbringing and you're looking further down the road of what contestants are going to be doing and making some predictions. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'd love to do it again sometime. You know, if, I'm going to take you up on this Coulter, because if, if, if season nine is not alone, all stars, uh, would you mind if we invited you to be the occasional co-host, it'd be the three of us talking about what's happening on season nine of alone. Yeah. I'd come do it. Okay. Be fun. All right. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. That is a wrap from the solitude studio. And again, I want to thank Coulter for coming on and being our guest this week. You were tremendous on Alone and just as epic on the podcast today. Any shout-outs to friends and family, Coulter? Well, no, I always give a shout-out. Uh, I'll give a couple here to Tidelines Institute, to my people back on the island. Uh, appreciate all the support during the show. Let me go do that opportunity and, uh, and the time i got to spend in the last few years. And uh, definitely shout-out to my mom and dad for making this all possible, not just uh, – not just uh, having me and raising me, but also introducing me to the show and, and sending me on this crazy wild path that I've been on. So, yeah. Love you guys. Fantastic. Jukebox, any final thoughts or comments? I just want to thank Coulter for the time tonight and, and uh, giving us a, a further glimpse into, into a show that we appreciate. Um, and just for, you know, living up to, to, to what we, we loved and respected about you on the show. I think, I think this, uh, this was a great experience for me and I look forward to, to our future conversations and, and potential podcasts for season nine. Awesome. Thanks you guys. It's been great. Have a good night. You too. All right. Along with Coulter doc and jukebox are pushing the button and tapping out for now. Make sure that you guys watch all of the alone content you can out there. Can't wait to see what season nine looks like. Jukebox, go ahead and take us out. We're born alone. We live alone. We die alone. Mm.